All right, so after a couple of weeks um, where we've been doing some interesting things because Shahid decided that he wanted to go to San Francisco overnight, uh, we can finally come back to finishing off our console review, our platform review, by talking about Sony, which we were all saving because it's I think it's the platform that we're all most uh, comfortable with these days. So let me lay the groundwork for 2015 for Sony. Um, I think... This will upset people, but our point of view, at least, is that Sony were the and are the leader of the console, this console generation. Um, they had a bunch of really fantastic exclusives, uh, and you know we spoke in the past about how they even managed to wrangle away long-term deals like the Call of Duty map pack exclusives and stuff like that from Microsoft. And I think all of this helped get up to uh, 35.9 million units sold as of January 3rd, 2016. I think one of the key things that we also spoke about when we were doing the Microsoft episode is we know what Sony's numbers are uh, for the PlayStation 4. We do not know what the Xbox numbers are, which, you know, you can read between the lines on that one. So I think it's pretty clear to see uh, what 2015 has been like for PlayStation. Um, I think... Clearly, the way that 2016 is shaping up is PSVR, which is going to be out in October, right? Yeah. So towards the end of the year, that's I, I think that's probably what PlayStation are gearing towards. I mean, there are a ton of great games as well coming out between now and then, like No Man's Sky, which is shortly uh, incoming, which I know that we're all super excited about. Um, but what what else uh, would you say, uh, Shahid, is kind of do you think is attributed to the success that Sony's had in 2015, if anything else? Yeah, it's um, a multifaceted answer that one because I don't think it's been one single thing. I think just the the single biggest cause I think was contrition and humility from the PS3 era and an absolute dogged determination to make sure that those mistakes were not repeated. And that meant doing what it took to secure excellent partner deals, Mm -hmm. doing what it took to create hardware that developers would love, doing what it took from a retail level to ensure that there was adequate stock pretty much everywhere, Um, which, which was amazing because, as you know, in the past... PlayStation was, I would say, notorious for doing phased launches. So there was that. Pricing was obviously a factor. It was just a great consumer package. But I think most importantly, just the approach towards gamers, towards their key core market and paying them um, their fair dues and just placing them at the centre of everything. I think these were the the factors that contributed to the massive launch success. And there were many other factors as well, but I think those were the key ones. And how much do we we think that uh, Sony's inside gaming culture uh, plays a factor here? Because I keep hearing from, you know, developers and reading on on websites uh, that a, a common phrase that continues to pop up is that Sony cares or Sony gets us or Sony has a genuine gaming culture. And I wonder if maybe uh, that culture is not just like a, like an idea, but it also has a direct effect on how people perceive Sony and how people decide to invest their money and to buy a PlayStation. Do we think that culture can be uh, maybe even an economic factor in the end? Oh, I totally believe that. Especially if a culture manifests itself in a marketing campaign, which I think it did for Sony. I think For the Players has been a, a very good campaign, and, and I think that they've genuinely really benefited from that. Yeah, hmm. I think that the campaign was significant because it, was, it wasn't just a slogan. It was actually lived by the people who were delivering that campaign, not just from a marketing perspective, but from a partner perspective, from a customer perspective, social media engagement. But do you think this is different, though, to Microsoft? Like, yeah, people making the Xbox are gamers, though, right? Like they are. They are. So, you know, it's one thing to speak about culture. It's another to empower people at the ends of the organization 
to to deliver on that. Is it potentially? Do you think that maybe part of this is uh, PlayStation is more important to Sony than Xbox is to Microsoft? Hmm. So when you say like the people at the ends of the organizations, maybe Sony executives are more willing to allow the gaming culture to seep through their whole company, or at least that section of the company, than maybe Microsoft is with the Xbox. Well, it helps that they've seen results from that approach, right? Whereas I think there's what happened with Microsoft, I think, was was telling. They didn't put... I mean, they had the gamer culture, but they didn't put the gamer front centre of their original launch. And it's... I don't think they've ever fully recovered from that. I think that costs them dearly. Whereas PlayStation took the position that they were going to put the gamer, they were going to put their partners. So partners, customers, uh, retailers, and so on. It was... Uh, a company embracing all of its external contact points and empowering the people on the ground. People like, um, uh, and not just people on the ground, people who were engaged on social media made a huge difference in the run-up to to launch and allowing those people to carry on. Because that's not easy for a company with a traditionally very Japanese culture. You would think that that kind of approach would be much easier for a company that's that's a bit more Anglophilic like Microsoft um, I wouldn't say Microsoft, more Xbox, because, of course, Microsoft has uh, global reach. But, but Xbox has been traditionally very strong in English-speaking countries, and PlayStation has been broader than that. So you would have thought that that kind of culture would be much more easy to communicate. But I don't think that happened. I think there's also the, the transition period. Um, Microsoft were not quite sure where Xbox fitted in. Whereas here's the other thing, okay, which I think was really important. Around the time... Um, of launch, also around the time of um, Vita's despair, if you like, when there was n- not much in the way of content and and uh, I threw my hat in the ring. Here's how we can fix the problem. I think one of the things that was really tremendously different between the two was that it was all or nothing for PlayStation. It wasn't, you know, Microsoft were actually in a very strong position towards the end of the life of Xbox 360 a very strong position. And although PS3 had um, had turned the corner and had actually beaten the Xbox 360 in the long term in terms of sales, it had almost destroyed PlayStation. So it was all or nothing. And there were people saying, you know, is this going to be the end of the console? Is this going to be the last PlayStation ever made? You know, people were saying this. Is this going to be the end of Sony? And actually there was this sense that every single person within PlayStation was thinking... We have got to get this right. And that really does light a fire under people's backsides. And everybody knew that their their entire future at this company that they loved so much could potentially be on the line. They didn't speak it. It wasn't vocalised. But you could tell that we had our backs against the wall and we had to turn this round. And it worked. It worked. And I, I think without that, it might have been different. Let's say PS3 was an absolutely massive success. PS4 might have been a complete disaster, but because PS3 was such a hard-won battle, such a war of attrition, with so much pain throughout the organisation, I think it forced a lot of people to realise that if we don't get this right, you know what? This, This could be the end. This episode of Remaster is brought to you by Squarespace, the simplest way for anyone to create a beautiful landing page, website, or online store. You can start building your own website today at squarespace.com and use the offer code insertcoin at checkout to get 10% off your first purchase. With easy-to-use tools and templates, Squarespace helps you capture every detail of what drives you because if it's worth the effort, it's worth sharing with the world. With Squarespace, you can build a site that looks professionally designed regardless of your skill level with no coding experience required. With beautiful templates that feature responsive design and tons of awesome features and tools, you'll be able to make your website look and feel exactly how you want. Squarespace have state-of-the-art technology to power their websites and to power your site to ensure security and stability at all times. And they're trusted by millions of people 
around the world because of it. They have 24-7 support. They have rock-solid fast hosting. They have their commerce platform to sell physical and digital goods and so much more. Squarespace plans start at just $8 a month and you'll get a free domain name if you sign up for a year. You can sign up for a free trial today with no credit card required and start booting your own website straight away by going to squarespace.com. When you decide to sign up, make sure that you use the offer code insertcoin, that's all one word, I-N-S-E-R-T-C-O-I-N, to get 10% off your first purchase and show your support for Remaster. Thank you to Squarespace for their support of this show and Relay FM. Let's talk about what's left to come then. I mean, the the... If we're kind of agreeing that the key thing that got Sony to where it was was a change in attitude, um, and and that also I guess permeated into building a better console, right? In the PlayStation Four than totally. the PlayStation Three, it was just fundamentally a better console for everyone at a better price. So you know, it was it was a much better system. Um, let's look at what's coming for that system then. So PSVR, I mean. We know about it. We've we've heard executives speak about it on this show. We've heard developers talk about it on this show as well. But I guess we should maybe share our own opinions. Now, Shahid, I'm assuming you have used the PSVR. I have. And, you know, I, I was actually one of the VR doubters. You know, not so much a skeptic, because I love all technology. Mm-hmm. But I, I wasn't sure about VR. I wasn't sure if, if we were ready. Do you mean we as in Sony or we as in the technology? We as in um, the industry. Okay. Um, the, the video games industry. I didn't know if we were ready to, to bring this to, to market because there were so many things, so, so many factors that I think had to be absolutely right to create a sense of real presence. And I wasn't sure we were there yet. Would you say that Oculus pushed everybody's hand no i don't think so i mean playstation had been working on this for a while and um i think there have been a lot of people doing r&d for a while i think what oculus did was pushed um playstation into talking about their plans publicly so do you, you do you think then that the psvr would have been out this year oculus or no oculus that's what i mean like everybody might have been working on it but yeah I feel like that they may have lit a fire under everyone to actually put it out. I, th- I think that's fair. I think that that's absolutely fair because, you know, somebody has to be first. Exactly. Right? And I didn't get to try PSVR until I tried an Oculus. I tried an Oculus first. Yeah. You'll, you'll hear about that story later on in the show. But um, it was only when I tried that that I I said to my management that I wanted to to go after VR content because up until that point um, my team had been going after content for Vita and PS4 um, and it was when I tried that I, I just became a, a, a raving loon for VR because that thing just worked I mean I was I was looking down couldn't see my feet and I was freaking out because I thought I'm in this world but I can't see my feet you know and I, I for the first time it was I, I felt like I was in another reality but here's the interesting thing. Once I was out, once I was out of that headset, the memory of being in VR was a real memory of a real place. It felt no different for me mm. than any other memory. And that was astonishing. So I went to the management and, you know, I, I was asked by Nain and he said, what do you think about VR? And I said, within 10 years, it is going to completely change everything that we know. And normally I'm not, <laughs> this is the boss, right? Normally I'm not that over the top about something. I, I, I am prone to hyperbole, let's face it. But I knew this is going to be really, really important. And at that point, I got involved with commissioning VR content. So, so yeah, I got to try a lot of stuff. But interestingly enough, a lot of the prototypes I got to see were on Oculus. Well, of course, because there was no hardware. There was no hardware, yeah. right. It's only in the last six to nine months that PSVR hardware started to go out to people and we started seeing the stuff that we were signing on on PSVR. And it really has been quite a revelation for me. Um, I, I, I was hoping that it was going to be great. I mean, you know, I don't think it's going to change the world in year one, but I think it's going to wake a lot of people up. And I don't think it'll be very long, maybe maybe three years before people are much more interested in VR than they are in, in uh, 2D games on a standard telly. Mm-hmm. What is interesting to me is uh, 
From a consumer's perspective, I think Sony has the best shot at making VR uh, really ac accessible to people. Because I look at the Oculus, and we've talked about this before, I look at the Oculus, I look at the HTC Vive, and those may even be more impressive technically than the PlayStation VR, but the idea of you know buying a PC and paying attention to the specs and the... Uh, the setup even seems more complicated to me, more complex. I think Sony has the whole package, you know, to, to be able to uh, use VR as a simple product in, in a way that you go to the store or go on Amazon and you buy VR and you don't have to care about the specs and, and you know, graphic, graphic cards and that type of stuff. You just buy it, you plug it in, and you're into VR. And I think what is key to VR... Uh, in my opinion, are two factors. One is make it easy for consumers to make it accessible to people. Uh, and two, it, it'll eventually be mobile. Uh, it, uh, eventually, you won't have uh, this display. It'll be your smartphone. But that's, you know, years down the, down the line. Well, unless you, mean, unless you count something like the Gear VR. Unless, exactly, exactly. And that feels like the start of, you know, the start of what will be the future. Just right now, you cannot have something like the power of, of a PlayStation 4 in a smartphone. At least not yet. But I can count on maybe in the next five years, VR will shift to, to mobile devices. I don't know, but that's what I feel it'll happen. So right now, I feel like Sony has the best shot at making a consumer VR product that's relatively easy to buy, to use, to set up, and... That that's super exciting to me, uh, because uh, again, Oculus and Vive may be more impressive, but from my, you know, ignorant point of view, I um I think PlayStation VR is really smart, and I'm surprised that Microsoft is not doing something similar. I know that they have the Hololens, but it, it's not really the same thing, so it's kind of surprising to me. Yeah, I mean, they kind of have done some work with Oculus, right? Like Microsoft yeah. is kind of partnering with Oculus. Um, and that's their clear sign that they don't have VR. Yeah, when you when you partner with someone, it's because you know they have nothing, which is not a problem. They're working in a different realm. They're going for AR. The enemy of my of my enemy is my friend. Exactly. <laughs> <laughs> what a great way to put it. Yeah, that that really is. Um, I, it was funny, you know. In previous episodes, we were talking about the HTC Vive and Shahid. You know, you were saying about how like the Vive is the one that impresses everyone. Yeah, I wonder if that's because of those, uh, what do they call them, lighthouses, those little things that you have to put in high points of your room, because mm -hmm. that's how they do the really advanced motion tracking stuff, right? Yeah, yeah. And that's what the the reason I bring this up because that really struck me with what you were saying, Federico, about like why the PlayStation will probably be the 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 while we would expect it to be the winner is Oculus has better uh, screen technology and stuff, I assume. Um, mm -hmm. may and actually may end up with more games in the long run. You never know. Um, the Vive is the most impressive hardware, but they're both trickier. So, like, the Vive, you have to, like, spend all this time and have your room set up in a specific way. <laughs> yeah. and so, like, the, the, so the PSVR may end up winning just out of the sheer fact of that it's the simplest, not necessarily the best technology. I don't think there's going to be a clear winner in the first generation. I think if you're talking about in terms of install base, you're right. PSVR seems to have a really good consumer proposition. It's backed by a consumer hardware, consumer electronics company that knows how to manufacture this stuff, um, to mass manufacture this stuff, uh, and, and to run an efficient operations pipeline to make sure it gets to customers. It knows about customer comfort in a way that... Um, the, these newcomers, relative newcomers, I would say, to to hardware manufacture um, are, are probably not quite as familiar with, especially not, not in the games arena anyway. So I, th I think these are advantages. But, you know, swings and roundabouts. Oculus, I think you're right, will have more software. It'll be less controlled. And it will also have some really amazing evangelists because the people who are going to evangelize, ev evangelize VR don't care about the cost of their PC rig. They're going to buy whatever it takes. And they're going to talk about this stuff. And they're going to see experiences on Oculus that 
might not be available on PSVR simply because of the power required. So yeah, they won't do well in terms of just numbers, but in terms of promoting the experience, it's really good to have Oculus in the marketplace. Vive, I think, is very much a showpiece thing. I'm very interested and intrigued to see how that's going to develop because I don't think this will be the last um, of their VR offerings. Uh, but I think, again, we talked about Valve in the past having safety plays, you know. Um, I think this is a safety play for them, and I think it's a really smart move. So they, they've taken over that top position. What do you say are safety plays? Do you think because they partnered with HTC? Yeah, you know, it's a hedge to make sure they don't lose out in this market. Yeah, they partnered with maybe a technology company that could do with a break. Exactly. Yeah, yeah. They, they made the right partner. Yeah, definitely. But I think there's room for all three. I don't think there'll be a... Uh, an outright winner across the board but there will be different types of winners and i think psvr will probably be the consumer winner i just really fail to see either oculus or um the vive winning unless they can provide an all-in-one solution for the for the living room and i just don't think that what they've got right now provides that and that's what sony can give them you're right it doesn't I mean, who's got PC in, in their living room unless it's on a desk in the corner, right? Yeah, or unless, you know, they've got some kind of equipment. But I just think that asking somebody to invest the amount that it takes to invest, like, you know, around about $2,000 to to get into the, one of these systems, it's just too high. It's just too high. And I know Moore's Law and all that, but what I think we're likely to see is the PCs will, will be able to cope with it, but Oculus is, and, and the Vive, you know, things of that nature are going to get more powerful too. So it might get cheaper, but unless they can really do something to try and make their own boxes, you know, which they can control better and can develop tight, more tightly with, I think they're going to, I genuinely think that it's going to struggle to make the waves that the PSVR could make. Like that's, that's my opinion on this. Mm. So in addition to VR, so let's assume that VR is going to be great on, on PlayStation. Let's say that not everybody is interested in VR. Uh, what else would it take for, for Sony to maintain their position uh, with PlayStation 4 going forward, aside from VR? What do you guys uh, think it's key to uh, keeping PlayStation 4 the, the top console as it is right now? Well, of course, I've got some ideas there, as you can imagine. Uh, one <laughs> of the things that I heard time and time again from... From, from the management team was to broaden the audience as much as possible. You know, when, you, when you've built the lead that PlayStation has with the install base of this console, what you want to do is drive the advantage home. And the first thing you, you do is to make sure that you maintain the momentum. And that means making sure you're reaching customers you haven't reached already. So broadening the audience might well include some kind of family offering, it would involve reaching out to non-core customers. So expect to see software that doesn't just cater to the core anymore. I mean, if you remember back to the PS3 days, this was something that was achieved with the likes of SingStar and Buzz and iToy and so on. So I wouldn't say those particular pieces of software, but that type of broadening is likely to happen both from... Um, first and third parties. Does that not go against the for the players idea, though? Like, because that's very much focused on core gamer. That would, if you were to do that at the expense of the core. I think there are going to be right. plenty of offerings for the core. You can run more than one marketing campaign at a time. Like, of course, you know, yeah, you're completely right. That I just this is basically the Nintendo Wii segment, right? Like mm -hmm. that's that's kind of what you're referring to, Jahid. Right. Yeah. Like it's the everybody else that made the Wii such an incredible success. I think it's safe to say at this point that uh, the handheld market is dead for Sony. Sorry. Uh, I think it's gone, right? Like, I don't think there is one anymore. I think it's Nintendo is will be the only one that can last that. Yeah. For PlayStation, I would say quite possibly. For Sony, uh, I mean, they, they still got a handset in the game. Um, but I don't think it's really going to be a game-focused handset anymore. You remember the um, the dalliance with PlayStation Mobile, which didn't really work. Um, so I, I almost don't want to say the name because it hurts so bad, but I think Vita is likely to be the last handheld that PlayStation do. Uh, I don't have the inside track on that anymore, as you know, but I would be very surprised to see PlayStation come out with 
uh, a portable device again. Certainly not in the next few years, anyway. And, and, and they, they're so tied up with VR at the moment, anyway, you know? Do you think it's because the Vita is more, is not so much focused on children as much as the the DS and 3DS is? No, I, I don't think it's so much that. I think that's definitely a factor. But I think that the DS was amazingly successful, not just because it reached out to, to kids. Again, multiple markets there. It was a very broad audience... And it was a very appealing, very low-cost device that was very hard to break. And, you know, if if you gave one each to, say, two of your kids and one of them broke, it wouldn't be the end of the world. But, you know, something like a Vita was a precision instrument, so it was going after a core audience. Um, it was an expensive piece of expensive-looking kit, you know, and you thought, well, if this drops, I'm not sure I want to buy another one of these, you know? Right, rather than a thing that is just all plastic. Exactly. I know it sounds like a trivial thing. You know, you're almost asking me to drive a dagger into the heart of my baby here. Oh, guys. I know what I'm doing. Yeah, but, <laughs> but I'll do it. I'll do it because I don't think anyone gave as much of their heart and soul to a console as I did to, to Vita. You can easily say nobody cared about the Vita as much as you did. Yeah, I mean, it almost, at one point it almost cost me my life, but that's yeah. a story for another time. <laughs> I'll put a link in our show notes, though, to that story, but maybe we'll retell it later. Hardcore, yeah. hardcore shade. <laughs> but yeah, I mean, I, I think the, the memory cards, they didn't help. That was a nightmare. Yeah. Well, I mean, you know, not that the 3DS is much better than that. At least with the the Vita, you know where to put the thing. You don't need to buy a specific screwdriver to change it. Yeah. <laughs> oh my God, remember that? No, I don't even. <laughs> <laughs> but I mean, let's let's be fair here. There are a lot of people who absolutely loved the device. I we both did. We we all did, didn't we? Right. Yeah. So we all loved the device. We all loved the games that were on it. There was quite. You know, we kept it alive because of the stuff that we did with independent developers. We kept it alive a lot longer than perhaps it otherwise would have been kept alive. And there are a lot of very skilled marketers out there who helped to make that happen as well. You know, I can't really be claiming too much of the credit for for the reach of the device, just for getting the software onto it. So there there are a lot of good things going for it from a market perspective, but it was pricey. It was expensive looking. It didn't have enough software. Um... It certainly didn't have enough of the AAA content that people were expecting in the first year. So, you know, all of these things really hurt me to say, because I never used to say these things, because I was so positive about it. But they, they didn't help. And and it is quite sad. But I, I just don't see PlayStation going down that, down that route again. So another thing I'm really excited about is uh, PlayStation Now. And not just... I say not just... Not because of the cloud gaming, but because of the potential of that tech to deliver in lots of other ways. I expect to see more um, around PlayStation Now and PlayStation Now technology to be built on or, or certainly discussed with partners over the coming year. That's going to be exciting. And the other thing I'm really looking forward to, I can't believe we haven't talked about this, is Uncharted 4. I think Uncharted 4 is potentially game of the year. Hey, no spoilers. Level. I still got to finish Uncharted 1. Hey, hey, I'm not going to give you any spoilers. <laughs> but from what, what, what I know of it, I mean, they're, they're my, Naughty Dog are my favorite developer in the whole world. I think they are the best developer in the world. And I, I don't think anybody's going to be disappointed with this. It's going to really show off the power of the machine and People are just going to be blown away by it. Yeah, you better hurry up, Federico, because I have a pre-order on Uncharted. F- Uncharted so. I'm not sure I can finish three Uncharted games in like a month. You don't need to. to you don't need to play them all. You really don't. You know I cannot possibly start playing Uncharted from the fourth game. Yes, you can. Shahid, tell him that you can. This is like when my girlfriend tried to convince me to start watching Sex and the City from season three. No, but there's a continuation. There's more of a continuation of the story <laughs> in Sex and the City than there is on Uncharted. Like, it's just you are this character. You're going on an adventure. Like, that's all you need to know. Now, thank you for the spoiler, Mike. What? That you're going <laughs> on an adventure? <laughs> well, you know, it's just going to be me and Shahid talking about it then, because I've got this game coming. Okay, I, fine, I actually fine. have also pre-ordered Ratchet and Clank as well because mm-hmm. the reviews of that have been so good when is that coming out it's like in a couple of weeks 
in Europe. Okay. Yeah, I think it's next week actually. Next week, okay. Yeah, that looks amazing, like a the playable Pixar movie. Yeah. yeah, yeah. I mean, those games are fun to play. Yeah, you know, it's a Nintendo-y type game. Yes, the fans have missed that kind of thing on PlayStation. You know, I think so. I think so. I, you know, I remember Croc and the Legend of the Gobos. Do you remember that game? What game? It was on the original PlayStation. Yeah. What's the name? Croc and the Legend of the Croc. Gobos. I do remember Croc by Argonaut. Was a little lizard, yeah. right? That yeah. was the first game that I ever played on PlayStation. And it's like, it's that kind of game, right? The kind of like third person platformer game um, that games like Jack and Daxter and then uh, Ratchet and Clank kind of yeah. took up the mantle of. And yeah, has there been anything like this, like, really big other than like the lego stuff on playstation 4 well they tried with the with the fir- with the launch title knack maybe knack. do you remember knack, yeah. knack. When that was um, mark cerny's game yeah yeah when when ps4 came out mike it was one of the launch titles with a cute little like robot thing like, yeah yeah I, I think in general, like the market has moved towards a lot of uh, more adult type of games, probably because PlayStation gamers have grown, I guess. But I do miss the Nintendo like, you know. Yeah, I think I think Ratchet and Clank would sell to them anyway for nostalgia purposes. I mean, even if you look at Jack and Dexter, even Jack and Dexter, starting with the uh, the the second game and even more with the third title on PlayStation Two, they moved to a more like to a darker kind of setup. Even Jack and Dexter. I feel yeah. like Ratchet and Clank is the one that kind of stayed always. Like, uh, I don't want to say childish because that's offensive, but, you know, young and, and colored and, and, you know, funny. It was never ashamed of its roots, was it? Yeah, right. Yeah, true. Yeah, I really want to play the remake. It looks amazing, like like Toy Story as a, as a video game in the, in the best sense. It looks fantastic. All right, so we have spoken about why we think uh, PlayStation has done so well and why we think it's going to continue to do well. But there is another side of it, of course, which is what the developers think and why some developers have chosen PlayStation as kind of their main platform, why it means something to them. So uh, in our, I guess, new style, Shahid has gone out on the street again (laughs) and has got a a bunch of interviews for us that we're going to close out this show with. Uh, So we have an interview with Mike Bithel and James Austin, who are a couple of fantastic indie developers, about why they chose PlayStation and, and what they like about PlayStation. And also an interview with Jim Ryan, who is the president of global sales and marketing at Sony Interactive Entertainment Europe about why he thinks from inside that PlayStation is such a great platform. Hello, Mike. Hello. Mike, for the 14 people on planet Earth who don't know who you are, would you mind doing <laughs> a, a very quick introduction, please? So, yeah, um, I'm a game developer. I made a bunch of games uh, at uh, Blitz Games and Bossa Studios. And then a few years back now, I released a game called Thomas Was Alone, uh, which which came out and did did pretty well. And then uh, last year, brought out Volume, uh, which is also doing really well. Uh, <laughs> it just sounds like I'm boasting now. Um, and, uh, yeah, just making stuff, basically. You came to my attention a while ago when you did that awesome april fool's video which was just oh the mocap one oh it's just amazing so <laughs> um, and that's that's quite a long time ago now isn't it that one yeah we made that um that was what i think i don't think the game was actually even out yet so that would have been yeah that would have been about maybe four or five years ago now um wow it was it was a it was fun yeah it was uh i managed to talk a motion cap studio into letting me do a, a, a whole fake trailer there which was which is fun we put their logo in every shot which i think made it <laughs> we, we sweetened the deal a little bit for them but uh <laughs> we wasted a lot of people's time that day it was good and since then you've had i guess a, a really good relation would it be fair to say a really good relationship with playstation what's it been like working with playstation as a platform holder well since you've been gone <laughs> it's been awful it's been terrible i i can't they don't answer my calls uh, no no it's yeah they've been great i mean I, it started i mean it started really as uh, it was you basically right like you uh you and me got talking and um and you know, very supportive of Thomas was alone, and and we found a really cool opportunity to do to do stuff with that. Um, but yeah, since then, yeah, Sony have been very very kind, very supportive. 
Um, I think, you know, I was part of that generation of indies who were kind of, you know, kicking around making stuff at the point where where PlayStation really started kind of paying attention to that community again. Um, you know, these things always come in cycles and waves, and I think... Uh, yeah, I just I was in the right place at the right time to some extent, but uh, I've been I've been impressed by how well they've maintained that relationship. And it's interesting. You're, I guess you're you're one of many developers who have focused on the relationship aspect. And the interesting thing for me is people tend not to talk about the business side of things. They tend not to talk about technology. They focus on the relationship. Do you think that has been? instrumental in the success of ps4 or do you think there have been other factors as well be really good to get your take on that yeah i think it all comes down to relationships i think it's very easy from from kind of the outside and from a kind of a fan perspective to you know look at these things as plastic boxes on top of tvs but i mean ultimately especially you know with this generation they're they're kind of this is sacrilege but they're kind of similar um (laughs) they're uh and it it really does come down to to kind of having those relationships with people just like i guess any business right it comes down to knowing people and talking to people and 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 presenting your stuff well and, and and having them present well to you and yeah i think i think i think sony get that i think they they got it um at a very important point in the in the company's kind of history with the uh with the kind of the, the rise of the PS4 and the kind of the the rounds of kind of um, uh, PR and marketing that happened around that get, that console's launch, that was the point in time where you know I think again because of your efforts with Vita and I think you know a few other things happening in America at the same time, like we really saw that 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 push and and yeah it's 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 been about those relationships ever since and and what that means is you're having those conversations when you know when a new piece of technology comes along or where something comes along i remember you know with uh, with coda which we're bringing to um to psvr um at the end of the year that's that was literally i think i was having a meeting with ben at sony and and you popped into the meeting right and said mike have you got any any vr ideas <laughs> and, and, and the thing is i had to you know on a, on like a, i guess on the business level like you have to be at the table having the chat for that chat to happen right like yeah it, it's it's just you know but i think the other thing that that's really important specifically you know with the sony relationship is it's not just about kind of self-interest or um kind of those business things like I, I do believe in you know in in Sony's interest in what what I do and in games in general, um, and I like going in and chatting with you know Ben and the team uh, at Sony and 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 that goes right up to you know to Jim Jim Ryan's level and and everywhere everyone I've ever talked to at Sony they they love games and that's that makes it very easy to kind of get on on a personal level because you know they're they're my kind of people um and and that's uh that's that makes it a lot easier you know talking about new technologies you're actually the person who turned me into a vr believer i was kind of curious about yeah i was curious about vr but do you remember that day you brought in your dk2 brought it into the office and uh, oh, I, I did. I remember you were very upset because you couldn't see your feet. I remember you being a bit weirded out because, which is you know a problem a lot of people have in VR. You were, it was, yeah, we had it in the office. I remember. But that that was it. That that demo completely transformed me. I mean, after that, I think I I was absolutely buzzing for days. And before that point, um, my team hadn't been involved with Morpheus at the time, as it was called at all. And that was the point at which I started lobbying for our team to go and get content for it and had you not brought that in i'm not sure that that would have happened so thanks for that what you're saying is well i i will i you know i will collect the thanks of every indie developer who's making psvr games right now right that's something like that (laughs) i i i feel like i think vr is one of those those cases where it's like sharks and dolphins right like sharks and dolphins completely evolutionary separate but you know solve problems in a lot of similar ways i feel like vr vr's time was now so if i hadn't brought that that oculus in i think someone else would have you'd have you know vr finds a way as uh, as i think it was michael Crichton who said that mike thank you very much for your time today it's been an absolute pleasure hello james hello so i think you're an absolute legend but for the benefit of our listeners at remaster would you like to introduce yourself and tell us a bit about what you're working on Sure. So, um, hello. My name is James Austin, and I'm the I'm the director of a game called Boundless, 
And Boundless is an open world sandbox where everyone plays in a single online universe. So all players on all platforms, in all locations around the world, inhabit a single universe and they can instantly step from one world to another. Wonderful. I thought it was so wonderful, as you know, that um, I went ahead and, and did a deal with you to help bring this mind-blowing piece of uh, gaming genius to PlayStation. But now that I've gone and I'm doing my own stuff, I'd love for you to tell our audience why you chose PlayStation and what it's been like working with PlayStation as a developer. Okay, well, it may sound like a bit of a cliche, but the reason we chose PlayStation as a partner was because the people we met at PlayStation and we were talking with at PlayStation were kind of as passionate about Boundless as we were. Like we were, we were talking with quite lots of different people about Boundless. We were talking to publishers, platform owners, and even investors. But ultimately, kind of the people at PlayStation kind of really understood the game we wanted to create, and ultimately they wanted to help kind of make it happen. And this was very much like a, a focus first on on the game itself and in essence just kind of supporting us and it was very refreshing and it was it was just a really easy decision to say well if we can do any of the deals that we're looking at this is the deal we absolutely want to do and and since doing the deal the support we get from from PlayStation is I can only really describe it as kind of just kind of very caring for the product and always thinking about and always kind of like discussing what's right for the for Boundless as a game, what's right from a, a feature perspective and what's right for what the players might want and timing and all these sorts of things. And it, it's just very much about let's try and make this game as good as we can make it and we'll work out kind of how we fit it into everything else that's going on as like a, as a second step. And, and it just gives us a lot of confidence that we made the right decision and it's just a, like a real pleasure working with the everyone we've met at, at PlayStation. Awesome. That's It's really unusual for me to hear it from an outsider's perspective, which is what I am now. But it's, it's interesting that with so much technical prowess in your team and so much creative prowess, you've pointed out the creative support, i.e. support of your creative vision and, and facilitating that. I'm also really interested to find out where you think PlayStation should go, in certainly in the next year, maybe further out as well. What are the things that you'd like to see PlayStation doing in the future? Um, so, I've, I think I'd answer this from like a developer's perspective primarily. And one of the things that I've, I've thought a bit about, particularly for, for PlayStation, is I'd really love it if they were able to share more player and commercial kind of metrics about games on their platform. Like, we're, we're already invested in the platform, so we've kind of already made the decision that we're going to try and make the game work on this platform, try and be successful on this platform. But but before we made that decision, there's, there's, there's so many different platforms out there, and there's so much different information about the different platforms about how successful games can be on those platforms and um, particularly with things like steam and mobile you kind of feel like there's there's quite a lot of stories out there and sometimes it's um, developers publishing their own um, kind of retrospectives on projects but what i've always wanted was playstation to kind of say like here is data about our platform about the types of projects that are released on the platform and how well they do commercially and kind of the numbers of players that are playing them. And my logic is that if PlayStation is a great platform and it's like, well, you would obviously want to be on this platform, then the, that data should support that. And I feel like the more information PlayStation can give potential developers and also the developers now about their platform and about the types of players they have on their platform the easier it will be for developers to say, actually, do you know what? Instead of targeting kind of Steam first and, and maybe going to, to like console or PlayStation afterwards, 
we want to go PlayStation first because that platform offers us the best opportunity for kind of to make a successful game and, and make the sort of game we want to make. That, that that for me is I still find um, the consoles a, a little bit of a of a kind of a closed ecosystem and it's quite hard to get information out of that. So without that data, you're taking it a bit on faith that it's the right investment to make as as an independent developer. James Austin, thank you very much indeed. Thank you very much. Jim, thank you very much for talking to us at Remaster. I'd like to ask you a few questions about my um, unashamedly favourite company, (laughs) if that's okay. But I'd like to ask you, apart from PSVR, what would you say are PlayStation's priorities for 2016? Well, that's a good question, but first of all, nice to see you too, Shahid. It's uh, it's been a while. On many occasions, you sat in this office with um, some outlandish project to pitch me to try and extract money from my wallet. So it's, it's, it's good to be doing this in a slightly different context for once. Uh, I've almost forgotten what the question was, but the priorities for 2016, they are many. Um, you know, obviously, uh, VR... As you said, extremely important getting that off to a good start. But also, uh, clearly, PlayStation 4 uh, remains uh, the principal priority. And, y- you know, that that takes many forms. Uh, obviously, uh, continuing to uh, grow the install base at, at record levels, which is what we've done to date. Um, uh, growing our digital business, growing our service portfolio. Uh, but I think most important of all, just you know, ensuring that there's a great range of games for uh, for everybody associated with PlayStation. Mm. It does sound though that PSVR's absolutely smashed everybody's expectations. Did that surprise you? I think the uh, you know the reaction at uh, at and immediately after GDC was a surprise. I think we were confident of the proposition going into GDC. Um, we we knew we had. Uh, a good price point. We knew we had a, a very nice and attractive range of, uh, of VR software to, to, to show the world. Um, and whether it was the reaction actually in the event or the reaction online immediately after the event, um, or you, you know, probably most important of all, the, the early data that we're now starting to see from, uh, from retailers in terms of pre-orders for the, for the device, um, which are which are really quite exceptional. Mm. Um, yes, I, I think we are we are very pleasantly surprised by the reaction. I mean, earlier on, you talked about continuing to uh, accelerate the install base for PS4. In the end, what do you think were the main contributors to the success of PS4, particularly during that amazing launch year? Yeah, I, I think you you know you make a, an interesting observation, and it's very. It's very easy in these um, uh, rather halcyon days to to forget just just how um, how to use your word lack, lacking in confidence um, we were in certain areas prior to the launch, and I think that was really off the back of um, some certainly at least initially rather difficult times with PS3, uh, and I think to stop rambling and to answer your question. One of the reasons that I think we have been uh, successful with PlayStation 4 is that clearly some mistakes were made with PS3. Mm. Uh, and I think we were very honest with ourselves uh, at the towards the end of that cycle and you, you know made a, a sort of pretty clear and exhaustive inventory uh, of those mistakes and, and, and vowed uh, not to repeat them again. Mm. Uh, and I think in a combination of that, which is eliminating things that were bad, mm. uh, together with um, a, a, a very absolute and a, and a, a very unerring uh, focus on making sure that the that the gamer was at the heart of everything that we did mm. on PlayStation 4, I think a combination of those two things are the principal reasons for our success. One of the things I was really excited about recently was the news that um, you'd be able to stream PS4 games to PC and Mac, which from the outset seems like possibly a, a fringe activity, but actually could be really, really useful uh, to those people with just a single PS4 in the household and also people on the move, business people. It just seems to open up PS4 to 
a much wider range of use cases. So I was wondering, I mean, it sounds like you've got some Gaikai technology, PS Now technology um, behind that. How important is PS Now and cloud to the future of PlayStation? I think it's it's potentially extremely important. Um, you, you, if you if you look at the gaining factors that prevent everybody from enjoying a PlayStation gaming experience, uh, right now, one of those gaining factors is the requirement to own a PlayStation. Yeah. Uh, and if you um, if you then imagine a world where there is the possibility to stream PlayStation gaming experiences to uh, hypothetically, any um, any device with a screen that's connected, mm. um, the universe of potential PlayStation gamers explodes. It's an exponential increase. You, you, you've got all sorts of um, uh, non-PlayStation Sony devices. You've got all sorts of non-PlayStation non-Sony devices. Mm. That you, you know whether you're talking about uh, televisions, uh, laptops, DVD players, mm. tablets. Um, and you, you know anybody that um, is is involved in our great business who's not excited by that really probably needs to have their head examined. <laughs> uh, and you, you know, really, as I've said before in the past, it's a very it's a very seductive long term vision and extremely hard to realise. But mm. as as a long term vision, I, I think it, it it offers you know some incredibly exciting possibilities. Mm. And of course, you talk about. Um, PlayStation content being made available to as many people as possible on as many devices as possible. That presupposes uh, content appearing in the first place. And one of the things that I think a lot of people don't appreciate is just um, how much of a driving force you and your team have been in engaging with content creators. Um, The amount of third-party activity that you and the team have undertaken over the last few years has really been quite surprising to lots of people observing the industry. Is there a message you'd like to get out to uh, developers, whether they be small developers or developers working within the framework of a much larger organization? Yeah, and, and I think some of this goes back to my comments earlier about things that we are doing rather differently now to the way that we've behaved in the past. We've tried to become uh, a much more developer-friendly organization. We've tried to make ourselves um, much easier to work with, whether it's as simple as the tonality of the people and the relationships that they have with developers, whether it's the, um, the administrative side of things been rather more streamlined than it has in, past, has in the past, or you know, whether it's the tailored programs that we, we develop for content that particularly uh, interests us. Um, or at the, um, the sort of ultimate level, the, the, the sheer numbers of devices that we offer publishers mm. uh, and developers to, um, to, to distribute their content across. So we think this is now the right approach for us to take. Um, I think you personally have, uh, were, were a huge part of all of that uh, within Europe. And uh, we very much look forward to continuing that approach and, uh, and, and uh, making this a uh, great system for uh, for all of us to enjoy. Jim Ryan, thank you very much. My indeed. pleasure, Chef. Lovely to see you. Likewise. <laughs>